It is Wednesday, September 13th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellum. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, a rising industry of outdoor recreation in northwest Arkansas. The climbing's always been here. It's Arkansas is an amazing resource for rock climbing. I, I think it's been overlooked for a long time. People, you know, they, they look to Colorado or they look to the Appalachian Mountains, somewhere that has, you know, just really in your face. It's big. It's there. So it's a little more spread out here. Plus, problems laid bare during the pandemic that already existed before and still do now. It exposed all that was already there all the, the whole time. Food insecurity didn't start three years ago during the pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you, it's always been there. And Candy Lee keeps young audiences entertained with her music and challenges. Whoever dances the hardest on this next song, I got a prize for you. <laughs> First the news from NPR. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infants Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com herhealth to learn more. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a premier Northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Offering daily activities, a variety of living options, plus wellness amenities, including an aquatic center and fitness facilities. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. Matthew Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, Candy Lee is a talented songwriter with a heavenly voice. Her most recent work is geared toward younger audiences. She's teaming up with like-minded musicians from Northwest Arkansas to host Candy Song's Kids Music Festival Saturday from 4 until 8 at Bentonville Brewing Company. A conversation with her about her music and the big show later this hour. First today, outdoor recreation. Northwest Arkansas is known for its mountain biking, dozens of miles of the Razorback Greenway, and even canoeing and kayaking down the Buffalo National River. But as Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis reports, rock climbing is an industry of outdoor recreation that is steadily climbing in the region as well. All righty. I got you. Dennis Nelms lowers me from the top of a 30-foot rock wall. Nelms and I spent the morning climbing new routes at a recently developed outdoor climbing area in northwest Arkansas. Even though the sun had only been up for a few hours, temperatures were already reaching the 90s. Plus, it's summer in Arkansas, which means humidity and a lot of bugs. The climbing area is called the schoolhouse, and it's in the middle of Fitzgerald Mountain, which is only a 10-minute drive from downtown Springdale. Nelm says improvements to climbing gear and intentional route creation changes the way new areas are developed, which makes it easier to bring safe outdoor climbing closer to people. He, alongside Trailblazers, the Access Fund, and the Arkansas Climbers Coalition, have worked to build the area into a place that someone can come learn to climb, even if they have no experience outside. Traditionally, climbers find a new spot to climb outside and proceed by climbing the hardest wall possible, 
Then, they might put up one or two easier routes to warm up on. Nelm says this way makes improvement nearly impossible if you aren't already an advanced climber. At Fitzgerald, there are plenty of climbs suited for beginners. And that's accessibility for somebody that's new to climbing. So it really, it, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's the way it's always been. Nelm says he's been taking cues from the Northwest Arkansas cycling community by bringing accessible climbs closer to the people who want to get outside. So now what we're doing is we're trying to find rock that's close in proximity to population and really look at, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to put in these easier climbs and then add in those harder climbs later, which is really turning development and climbing on its head. Intentional, professional development hasn't really been attempted anywhere else in the world. I mean, there's not, the closest thing to it would be, um, you know, maybe Via Ferrata's, which is, uh, it's a type of climbing with irons, uh, with cables and lanyards, and it's usually guided. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of uh, communities that have approached recreation like Northwest Arkansas. Um, you know, what they've done in the landscape of cycling. Ten years ago, people were like, this is crazy. You can't do this. And now they're like, how did you do this? We want to do it. We want a part of this. Arkansans haven't always been so enthusiastic about climbers. Until recently, most climbing areas in the state could have permanently closed if private landowners and state parks decided to shut them down. What's more, climbing has only just reached the mainstream of outdoor recreation. Climbing is culturally has a history of being on the fringe. You know, it was the rebel dirtbag that lived behind the, the dumpster in Yosemite Valley or, or hid from the rangers behind a log. That was me in the 90s. <laughs> so it's evolved a lot. You know, there's a lot of change. Um, you know, now it's more on the forefront. You know, the you know when, when Tommy Caldwell did the Don Wall, the the Rangers were there to congratulate him, which is just such a unique experience for the climb community. It's really come full circle. So, you know, things have just changed so much uh, that landscape, and what we're realizing is that climbing has a value to communities that they don't even realize. The Arkansas Climbers Coalition is a nonprofit organization that seeks to draw out climbing's many benefits, says Coalition Vice President Andrew Bland. He says that developing climbing areas close to population centers bolsters a town's culture and economy. Climbing's always been here. It's Arkansas is an amazing resource for rock climbing. I, I think it's been overlooked for a long time. Historically, people have flocked to the Rocky or Appalachian Mountains for outdoor climbing, Bland says. Even though climbs in Arkansas don't reach the same heights as the ones to the east and west, they are uniquely poised to bring climbers into rural areas that might not get much traffic otherwise. Think like Newton County, Searcy County, Jasper, those sort of areas. And it brings a lot of tourists into those areas. People are traveling, whether they're traveling from northwest Arkansas and going to those places and spending money in establishments that are there. There's a lot of people that are 
coming down from the Kansas City area or St. Louis, Little Rock, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Dallas. The Midwest is generally lacking in the elevation department. So anyone in a roughly five-state radius of the Ozarks... This is their home climbing area. This is where, if you're a climber, where, where you're going to on the weekends because you, you don't really have that much else. There's some, cool, there's some climbing in, in Oklahoma and the Wichita's. There's some climbing in southern Illinois. Um, there, Texas has a lot of climbing, but Texas is huge. So depending where you are in Texas, you are a lot closer to the Ozarks than somewhere like Waco Tanks or something like that. So there's, there's a really large potential for bringing in, or for climbers, they are coming in from these places. And if individuals or businesses can kind of cater to climbers, even just a little bit, they will go and spend their money at those places. Um, climbers love places that support climbers. The Land Trust recently made waves at Lincoln Lake by referencing a plan for recreational climbing in the park in the Trust's conservation easement with the city of Lincoln. A conservation easement is a voluntary legal agreement that permanently limits the use of the land in order to protect its conservation values. That's according to the National Conservation Easement Database. Director of Land Stewardship Marcin Nance says... Climbers allowed for their inclusion by being good stewards of the land they recreate on. To make sure that, you know, we're, we're being mindful of the habitat out there and potential, you know, uh, species that could be present there. Um, and just, uh, you know, just kind of working through the process with all these groups to determine, you know, where is climbing good? Where is it not good? Where are areas that we need to kind of leave alone for habitat? Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, climbers can, you know, just by being mindful of that, that, you know, they're in a wild space, they're in a natural area, that there are plants and animals there. There's some in Lake Lincoln that are, that are fairly rare in the state of Arkansas. And so, um, you know, just being mindful of that um, and being respectful of the area, whether they're staging or climbing or, you know, um, you know putting hands in cracks, <laughs> that, that, that kind of stuff, you know. Nelms says he hopes to bring people who have never touched rock with the intention to climb out into these areas. Specifically, he is looking to get Arkansans from marginalized communities up Ozarkin cliffs. We're really looking at how we, and how we can engage those other communities and what communities are there. Mm-hmm. You know, what does that really look like? Um, and so, you know, the, the density of population in, in the Take Springdale, for instance. Um, the climbing out there is phenomenal. It's, it's about to get really big. Um, and a good portion of the population there is Hispanic. But when you go to climbing gyms and, and, and you go to climbing communities, you see very few uh, examples of that Hispanic population. So um, it's not about accessibility um, as far as location, things like that, it's more like what, what's culturally accepted and how do we help perpetuate that? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and for me, I don't have that answer because I'm not Hispanic. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't answer that question. Yeah. But I can understand accessibility for mm-hmm. things. Um, I can un- understand, uh, you know, how from an outside perspective, why would I climb? You know, mm-hmm. but 
But why do I climb? It's, it, this is my personal space. This is my personal time. Right. I have to work, and, and I'm very fortunate that work is climbing. Um, so I've made it, made it just that everything. But not everybody has that a, a ability to do that. Um, you know, so, so we've got to figure out how, how to engage those different communities. How are you all attempting to learn about that? I'm asking people in that community. Just outreach. Just out, yeah. I'm just trying to find connectivity there, and and and, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking for people mm-hmm. to communicate with about it. Fitzgerald Mountain is open to the public, and new areas will be added to the popular climbing app Mountain Project later this month. For those looking for more information, visit the Arkansas Climbers Coalition website. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. Another outdoor recreation option opened this weekend in Watts, Oklahoma. The Woka Whitewater Park, that's short for Waters of Oklahoma and Arkansas, officially opens to the public this weekend. The park is part of a 30-acre site and is a joint project of the Grand River Dam Authority and the City of Siloam Springs with support from the Walton Family Foundation. They're both rapids and calmer water to experience. While the official grand opening celebration is slated for the spring of 2024, Woka Whitewater Park will open its doors to the public this weekend to give enthusiasts a first-hand look. During this opening weekend, the park's operating hours are from noon till 8 on Friday, then 8 to 8 Saturday and Sunday. Visitors can expect free parking and limited concessions during this opening weekend. Equipment available on a first-come, first-served basis. You can find all the details at visitwoka.com. Think about the incredible range of programs, subjects, ideas, and people you encounter when you turn on KUAF. At any given moment, you might encounter the pleasures of the familiar or the equally valuable rewards of the unknown. Moments spent with KUAF are moments well spent, and we'll be sure that your donation is money well spent too. Whatever the show, whatever the topic, whatever you learn from it, Your vital support helps create great radio for the public good, for everyone to benefit from. It just takes a few minutes to make your donation to strengthen KUAF and the news, information, and culture that enriches your thinking, decision-making, conversations, and daily life so often in so many ways. Give today at supportkuaf.com. Ahead on today's show, Candy Lee's been writing and performing music in Northwest Arkansas and beyond for some time. Lately, her songs have been written with a younger audience in mind. The other, the other day, my kid asked me, he was listening to the Ladybug song, Mom, what is crops? And I, and I, I had to tell him what the word crops meant, you know? So, uh, so it's kind of cool to be able to um, have a message geared toward them, but, but not talk down to them. Candy Lee talks to us about writing songs, about being scared, being excited, being jealous, and just being a kid. Candy and other artists are hosting a Candy Songs Kids Music Festival Saturday in Bentonville. She'll give us the details about that, too. It's all in about six minutes on today's Ozarks at Large. Hi, it's Steve Inskeep. At Morning Edition, we're honored that people from around the world trust us with their stories. We are a family that was broken up by migration when my father left. We need our elders. There are language holders. There are culture sharers. We need some changes. Things must change. Join us for Morning Edition from NPR News for stories that bring the news to life.
Morning Edition with your local host, Daniel Carruth, can be heard every weekday morning from 5 until 9 on 91.3 KUAF. The Arkansas Legislature's special session continues today. Yesterday, a legislative committee heard public comment over a bill to alter the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA. Senate Bill 9 would bar the public from having access to the governor's security details and correspondence with cabinet officials. It would also shield the public from accessing documents prepared by prosecutors for litigation. If the bill becomes law, citizens will not be able to recoup legal fees in FOIA cases. Republican State Senator Bart Hester presented the bill to the Senate the Republican State Senator Bart Hester presented the bill to the Senate State Agencies and Governmental Affairs Committee yesterday, saying it would make state government more efficient and prevent people from abusing FOIA laws. Democratic Senator Clark Tucker of Little Rock questioned him about the bill's intended purpose. You said since 2021, we've seen attempts to abuse that, right? That's correct. So do we change? Are there actual abuses or just attempts to abuse? I, th- I think I'm familiar with attempts to abuse. Okay. So are we ch- many, many attempts to abuse? We're, we're changing laws based on unsuccessful attempts to abuse. Tucker said the language in the bill was too broad. Eventually, that bill was trashed and a third bill was drafted and filed last night. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders and 25 Republican state senators have co-sponsored SB 10, which focuses solely on exempting records around the governor and other executive officers' travel expenses. Senator Bart Hester says the Senate heard the concerns of Arkansans as far as making changes to the FOIA law. The security of our governor and her family should be the top priority for us. Senate Bill 10 focuses on protecting the security details of our governor and her small children. An emergency clause to immediately enact this law and a retroactivity clause dating back to June 1st, 2022, is still in the bill as well. The Better Business Bureau Education Foundation is hosting a day-long event on Mount Sequoia this Friday. Tina Hunter is the director of the Arkansas Division, and she says the event is designed for business leaders and entrepreneurs who want to grow in their knowledge of a wide range of topics around navigating the future of business going to bring together not only folks around cybersecurity, we're also bringing in bankers, Secret Service, um, FBI. We're going to bring in some insurance folks, some legal experts, and then we're going to talk about branding and human resources as well. Hunter says a big takeaway from the event will be learning how to adapt to emerging trends. What does AI mean for your business moving forward? And have you been using AI and didn't really realize it? You know, what are some strategies to keep your information safe? Because the landscape is changing continuously. The event begins at 9 on Friday. You can find a link for tickets and more details at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. 15-time Grammy winner Ricky Skaggs will perform at Temple Live in Fort Smith in early December. The venue announced this morning he'll be there December 2nd with his band, Kentucky Thunder. Before Skaggs' solo career began in the 1980s, he was a member of Ralph Stanley's Clinch Mountain Boys, and he played mandolin on stage alongside Bill Monroe at age six. Tickets for the concert go on sale Friday at 10 a.m. at templelive.com. Have you ever seen Ricky Skaggs live? No, I've talked to him on the telephone, though. I got to see him on the Grand Ole Opry once. And, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He is just immensely talented. It's, yes. It's not fair. Yes. The Northwest Arkansas Naturals started their final homestand of the season yesterday, splitting a doubleheader with the Arkansas Travelers. The series continues through Sunday 
with the Travelers. KUAF is supported by Arsega's drive through location at 1509 MLK in Fayetteville. Open 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. with a full coffee menu, espresso options, seasonal drink, and small foods menu. Arsegas.com or Facebook for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. Emotions like jealousy and fear can be tricky, intimidating even. It's the same for children as it is for adults. For the past few years, Candy Lee, a Northwest Arkansas-based singer and songwriter, has been creating music to help younger people understand such things just a little bit better. Her songs also just embrace the joy of living, too. Videos for many of Candy's songs can be found on YouTube or the Backyard Bug CD Candy Songs. Saturday, Candy and several other area musicians will perform music intended for young audiences and their older friends at Bentonville Brewing. The Candy Songs Kids Music Festival is from 4 until 8 Saturday. It includes music from Papa Rap, Shaky Bugs, Jenny Dietzel, Will Brand, and others. And Candy recently came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about this event. I asked her about it and about her ability to write entertaining songs for children that don't talk down to them. I don't talk down to my kids. Um, That's why they speak so well, and I get that a lot about them. And so... um, I want to speak to them at their level, but maybe even just a little bit above so they can say, hey, mommy, what is this word? You know, what is a I'm trying to think of um, even the word crops. The Mm -hmm. other the other day, my kid asked me he was listening to the ladybug song. Mom, what is crops? And I I had to tell him what the word crops meant, you know. So uh, so it's kind of cool to be able to um, have a message geared toward them, but but not talk down to them. One of the songs that you've done recently that I really like is Jealousy. (laughs) It's about jealousy. There's a great video on YouTube to go with it. about it is it's not just saying don't be jealous you're actually giving the listener agency like I don't want to feel this way I love Mm. that line you're saying I don't want to feel this way Mm -hmm. but I do Mm -hmm. and it's it's three and a half minutes of trying to to work that out (laughs) I mean that's something that adults can experience oh my gosh so much all the time especially as like a musician uh, you know seeing all your friends out there killing it going on the road and all this kind of stuff and being like oh man Maybe if I hadn't settled down and had kids, I could be out there, too, and all this stuff. But then you realize that you're so grateful for what you have, and everything is as it should be. And and really, I think that's what it comes down to with jealousy is um, being grateful for who you are. Be happy with what I have. Be happy with me. That's the line in the song. So mm-hmm. it's everybody struggles with jealousy. And with kids, it's very basic. You know, oh, he has that toy. I want it. But when you get older, it gets more complex. You mentioned the videos. This is mm-hmm. you've got several of them on YouTube. Yes. What has that? I mean, you've always been a visual performer. I've mm-hmm. seen you perform solo and <clears throat> as part of a duo, and you're always engaged with the audience. But engaging for a camera has to be a little bit different for you. It is. 
honestly, it's almost easier. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, oh, man, I'm one of those, um, what do they call it? Like a extroverted introvert, uh-huh, you uh-huh. know? So um, if it's just me and the camera, I can... I can make faces all day, but when it's in front of a crowd of people, I just, I get so um, self-conscious, you know? But then you also have that, oh, I get to watch it back before I put it out there. You can do it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, but it's so much fun. It's it's great. There, There's one longer video mm-hmm. that is a scavenger hunt. Yes. It's 10 of your songs. Mm-hmm. The first 10? The first for, 10, yeah. And you connect them with the scavenger hunt. Yes. Is that your idea? It was my idea. Yeah. Kids love a scavenger hunt. Yeah. They love they love it when you open things. They love to find things. So I thought it'd be a, a fun, like, kind of interactive way to piece them all together into, like, a longer episode. If mom wants to get the dishes done, put on this long episode. <laughs> that's exactly, as I was watching it, that's exactly what I thought. I was like, here's just this. And it's 10 songs. Because we all know when you're mm-hmm. young, you tend to maybe like a movie or a song a lot. And you mm-hmm. want to just put on repeat. Right. So if they love this video, there's at least 10 different songs, yeah. you know, <laughs> along the way. What about lip syncing for a, a YouTube video? Is that hard? Yeah. Uh- Yes and no. Uh, I definitely have, have watched the videos a few times and been like, oh, I didn't do a very good job right there. That's <laughs> but, not why I brought that up. <laughs> but, you know, watch very closely. <laughs> no, um, it's it's not. I, I've made v- music videos before, and I think the, the fact that I wrote the songs uh, helps me out a lot. I, I don't think I would win a lip sync battle of someone else's music. <laughs> so... When you're entertaining, when you're performing for young people, we know that attention spans you know, three or four are not the same as when you're 15 or 16 or 30 or whatever. Right. Does that take just a little bit of um, humility? Like, oh, I'm yeah. only a third through this song and oh, already I can tell you're checked out? Yes. Well, you know. Not checked out, but. <laughs> it comes with understanding. But, uh, and we try and figure out ways to uh, to keep the audience engaged too. Like, okay, this is the part to sing right here, the part that mm-hmm. we you know showed you earlier. Y'all have to sing that right here. I also do a little bit of bribery. Like, okay, whoever dances the hardest on this next song, I got a prize for you. Then <laughs> <laughs> <And> they're engaged. <laughs> Will that be the case on the sixteenth? Will there be? Oh any? yeah, okay. yeah. There'll be prizes and fun and. In, oh, contests and games and all kinds of stuff. I think when I first met you, when you first came to KUAF, you were young. <laughs> I think you were at Greenhouse Grill. Yeah. And and you were playing a lot of music around. And mm-hmm. and maybe I don't I don't want to speak for you, but maybe the idea was I could do this mm-hmm. singing songwriting for the career. Mm-hmm. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are a nurse. I'm a nurse. I'm a pediatric nurse. Pedi- oh, of yes. course, of course, that's great. <laughs> Do you think being a pediatric nurse influences your songwriting at Absolutely. all? Absolutely. I think being a mom uh, influences my music and being a nurse. And I feel like every all these different pieces, like being a kid's musician, being a mom, being a, a pediatric nurse, they kind of have all influenced each other too. So I find myself playing a lot more with the kids because I kind of I do that on the camera. So... I don't know. It all works together, and it's it's super fun. That really thinking about you being a pedi- pediatric nurse really makes me think about the song "Scared" yeah. more now. Mm. The video is about being scared of the mm-hmm. dark or whatever, mm-hmm. but just being able to talk about mm-hmm. yeah, you're scared, and it's okay. But let's think about why you're scared. Right. Yeah. 
And it's, it's difficult for kids to even get past, like, of course they know, you know, monsters aren't real, but there's that fear that always creeps back in. And shoot, I, I probably didn't become less afraid of the dark till I was older, you know. Um, but I think it's important to talk with kids about these things and, and see how they're feeling and check in with them and see if there's anything that you guys can uh, figure out to make them less scared. <laughs> What is the gestation time between song is written, song is ready to go, idea for video, video is complete? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I, so I started actually recording the emotion songs, um, which like the album hasn't even been released really. I've been releasing singles with uh, pretty much as the music videos. They're not even, you know, like on Spotify yet or anything. Um, But I started writing those uh, during the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. So in my closet (laughs) is when I I recorded those in my closet. Um, So those were, I'm still releasing them. So it's been years. Um, But Backyard Bugs, I luckily went into Crisp Studios and we knocked it out in a day. So um, the songs come fairly easily and I feel like I can write those pretty quickly. But by the time they get recorded and and out there and into a video it's probably you know six months to years oh wow yeah oh wow well i guess that makes sense but still wow yeah you got to be with them for a while (laughs) i have this image of you during the pandemic in your closet writing and recording scared yes i did (laughs) as we all should have (laughs) we were all with you in that oh my gosh all right so september 16th Mm -hmm. four to eight yes bentonville brewing Mm mm-hmm Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. And let's Thank you for having me. <laughs> the Candy Songs Kids Music Festival is from 4 to 7 Saturday at Bentonville Brewing Company on Southwest 14th Street in Bentonville. Now, along with the Musician Saturday, there will also be a Magician, a Bouncy House, Crafts, Carnival Games, and Sensory Play Table. This is just for kids, right? Or can You know, Bouncy Houses, I learned, you have kids' versions yeah. And adult versions, and I don't think, for a myriad reasons, they don't they don't mix. That's fair. So I think the Bouncy House is just for kids. If you'd like all the details, including the rules for the Bouncy ba- House, actually, I don't know if the rules for the Bouncy House are there. If you want more details, go to Candy Songs Kid Music Fest and Fun on Facebook. On the next Points of Departure, we re-examine the past. Whether it's the Chinese emperor, Arab sheik, or a feudal lord, or trickle-down economics, it's the feudal system. Those on the bottom are supposed to content themselves with the scraps. Author and social scientist Rianne Eisler dismantles social constructs to help us find a new path forward. Listen to Points of Departure at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us today. 
Arkansas and Oklahoma are first and second, respectively, when it comes to drone commerce readiness. That's according to a recent report from the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Brent Scorup is a senior researcher there, and we spoke over Zoom here recently. He says there's six factors they use to determine these rankings, but the idea of this annual report is to get state and local aviation leaders interested in drones. Get them thinking about how do we bring jobs and drone commerce to our state. And as you mentioned, Arkansas and Oklahoma stand at the, at the top of the heap. So in the future, I anticipate and others anticipate drones will not be able to fly just uh, you know, wherever is uh, most convenient. They'll have to abide by local property laws and nuisance laws and you know avoid of course, airports, but also perhaps like prisons and schoolyards and other things. So one proposal is to use the rights of way, the public rights of way above roadways. And so state state laws that recognize uh, the ability of, of state officials to lease air rights above rights of way is one issue. Another law we, we look at in the report is, is there an avigation easement, which is a, a lawyer's way of saying, if you have an av- avigation easement, in state law, you can fly so long as you're not bothering people on the ground. Some states codify that, about half of states codify that. Another is, does the state have a drone task force or a drone program office at the state level? Both Oklahoma and, and Arkansas have that. Yeah, Arkansas is uh, the Future Mobility Council was created by the governor last year, I believe, and Oklahoma has uh, something similar. Next is, is there a drone sandbox? And a sandbox here means is there designated state facilities and airspace for drone companies and other aviation companies to come test experimental aircraft and drones? And the final law we look at is, does the state expressly protect the property rights of landowners? This is an important issue. There's a lot of gray area here. And so states that do that get scores. And, and then the final issue is number of drone jobs in a state. And we, we account for state population within that. You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me is something like Walmart, right? Walmart has looked into doing some of this drone delivery systems. Is there anything kind of unique about these two states that kind of sets them apart from the rest? Yeah, I, I've heard anecdotally from people, uh, folks in Arkansas, Walmart has has led you know some of these discussions, creating this future mobility council, which includes not just drones, but also autonomous vehicles. And, and Walmart, my, I understand, has, has led a lot of that. Another unique thing about these two states, Governors Hutchinson and Stitt last year reached a memorandum of understanding to work together on emerging technology issues, including drones, and and they have plans to create a drone corridor, a 100-mile drone corridor that connects the two states, but also electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. And I I thought that was a remarkable um, agreement between those, those governors uh, that I hope other states will, will recommend. It's not expressly scored in our report. It seems easy to look at something like drones, like we would look at, you know, hoverboards in the past or whatever the like zeitgeist gadget is and kind of not think very seriously of them. But do you see drones as being like a critical part of the future economy? Yeah, there's there's been, I would say, and in, in many in the aviation space, you know, believe we're in the third major era of aviation. You, you had the Wright brothers, you had the jet age in the 60s. And now we're in the age of electrification and autonomy. And you can just do a lot more amazing things with electrification and autonomy that you just couldn't do in prior generations. So I'm, I'm optimistic about this. I'm, I'm looking out over my office right now in outside DC. Low altitude airspace where drones fly is 
almost totally empty. I mean, it's just, it's a vast public resource that for the first time we can actually use. And, you know, I, I think some promising sectors include ag uses, linear inspections like pipelines and utilities, uh, medical logistics between hospital campuses and, and so on. You know, a lot of people talk about home delivery. They'll be part of it. But I, I, I think I think sooner in the more economically significant areas will be ag, linear inspections and, and medical logistics. To me, it almost sounds like more rural states like Arkansas and Oklahoma could find a lot of advantage from these sorts of services because, you know, you're dealing with very rural places where there's not a high population, but, you know, a farmer's got a couple thousand acres and he needs to go check it. And it's it's pretty cumbersome to do that in a tractor or to do that in a pickup truck. But if you can do that in a drone, it's a lot simpler, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And you see that resembled somewhat in the report card. I mean, this wasn't intended, but uh, it tends to be uh, more more rural states that are leading in, in some of these factors. Um, I, I think North Dakota is right behind Oklahoma and Arkansas. And I think it is you know, due to some of these industries, inspections, ag and so on, uh, but also just the, the pragmatic reality that federal aviation officials, they're going to encourage these things in rural areas first where there's less risk. Uh, and less liability than than you know Manhattan or, or DC. Um, so I, yeah, I think for those two reasons, you you, you will see uh, rural areas and rural states be at the cutting edge of these things. Uh, a decade from now, do you anticipate these rankings looking a lot different than they do currently? There, there's been some turnover. I, I should say, and and sometimes I'm asked in interviews, you know, who who are the worst states? And I, I don't reveal that. We're not trying to shame low-ranking states. We're trying to raise the game of all states and point to states like Oklahoma, Arkansas, and North Dakota and say, hey, there's some good ideas here that you, you should try mimicking. And so what, what I would expect to see and what we've seen in the four years I've, I've done this report is states are upping their game. They are taking best practices from other states. You know, Arkansas, what was in the top three last year? They, they leapt to number one this year. What, what I expect to see and you are seeing is all states raise their game and, uh, you know, I hope in time drone companies and emerging aviation companies will have many options to choose from if, if they want a forward thinking uh, state uh, framework to, to work under. Brett Skorup is a senior researcher at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. He spoke with Matthew via Zoom late last month. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A prominent Little Rock dentist was also the first black Arkansan to write a novel. James Henry Smith, the father of noted composer Florence Smith Price, wrote Maudel, a novel founded on facts gathered from living witnesses, which Boston's Mayhew Publishing Company published in 1906. The title character is the daughter of white Kentucky Senator George Morrow and his slave Mary. In the novel, Morrow is stabbed and makes a deathbed request to wed Mary, but a white preacher refuses. Morrow then declares them married and dictates a will freeing his 165 slaves and leaving everything to Mary and Maudel. The child is later kidnapped and her mother dies of a heart attack. Maudel undergoes efforts made to dispossess the child of her property, but ultimately is awarded the fortune by the courts. Two known hardcover copies are held by the Library of Congress and Ohio State University's library, while the Mullins Library at the University of Arkansas has a photocopy. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large, the latest episode of The Beloved Community, a podcast collaboration between the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council, KUAF, examines the concept of speaking truth to power. This month's guest is Monique Jones. 
She is a minister and director of outreach at the historic St. James Missionary Baptist Church in Fayetteville. She's a community collaborator and a longtime HR professional. She sat down with podcast host Chris Seawood, the treasurer of the NWA Martin Luther King Jr. Council, to discuss her experiences in both the for-profit and nonprofit worlds. Chris asked Monique about her drive to get involved in community and her desire to advocate for community improvement. Uh, personally, I love people. Mm-hmm. I've been, um, when I wrote that bio, I think I was in HR then. Um, 25 years of HR, I was talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, actually, this morning, I was talking to a PhD student that volunteers with us, and I was saying I didn't understand why I was where I was earlier in life, but it all resonates to why I'm here now. Mm-hmm. Um, the skills that I obtain, the people I interacted with from my managers in manufacturing, working in transportation for 10 years, working in human resources in different places from banks to car dealerships. I um, use a lot of my knowledge to learn how to advocate in those spaces for individuals that are oppressed or that there's um, they're shut out in those fields. So. I look back and thought, mm, I'm glad I was there because I know how to advocate for this. Oh, I'm glad I was there and now I know how this works and the, what the rules say and what the compliance that they have to meet in these areas. So my background is in HR, but I was an HR manager in different fields of life. I do want to say um, I also have a child with a disability and I understand that she has barriers too. Mm. And so once again, it just expands my breadth of advocating for community members because I have to do it for my own child. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so what specifically brought you to the Northwest Arkansas area? Um, I was an HR manager in a manufacturing facility in Dallas-Fort Worth, mm-hmm. um, American Air Filter. Um, we shut down all the production there and moved production here to Northwest Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And so I, I signed a two-year stay agreement. <laughs> Ten years later, I'm still here. <laughs> Um, but it was it's, it was great for her. It was great for us because we like we're um, like riding bikes, like trails, like being outside. Um, my mom calls Dallas kids concrete kids. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's good for us to be able to get out in nature and um, spend time as a family outside. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so having matriculated here from the Dallas Fort Worth metro area, what is it as you moved here and got to engage in the community, as you gain more insights, what is it that really motivated you to get engaged um, as you did and, and have been since you've, since you've been here? I saw and I continue to see different levels of adverse impact to mm-hmm. different populations in this community. Mm-hmm. And um, to individuals here, it's business as usual. That's mm-hmm. the way we've that's the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. But it if it causes an adverse impact to an oppressed population of individuals, maybe it's not being done right. Mm-hmm. And I saw that continually in different spaces where I went, whether it was in the library or it was with transportation, or whether it was with access to food. I continued to see it in these different spaces, but it it became normalized until the pandemic. And then it exposed all that was already there the the whole time. Food insecurity didn't start 
three years ago during the pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you it's always been there, but it was highlighted a lot of these differences of access to Internet, mm-hmm. to food, to transportation were exposed in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I always saw it here. Mm-hmm. And um, I always wanted to be in that space to advocate for that person that needed that access, but nobody was trying to help them get it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about that, particularly what you saw during the pandemic? Um, and you, and as you mentioned, it was always here. But how how did the pandemic um, really rip the Band-Aid off, if you will, to, to cause that to be more exposed? I'm going to give you my um, – one of my go-tos is I moved here in 2012. I worked for American Air Filter over in the industrial park in 2012, and my biggest issue, I always try to tackle what are the problems and how can I solve them. I don't just like talking about the problems. Mm-hmm. I like going down that rabbit hole trying to solve them. And my biggest problem was my turnover issue was tardiness or absences. Mm-hmm. But I said – I. I thought you guys had a transit system here, Ozark Regional Transit. So I just picked up the phone and called Joel Gardner, and I said, hey, we're not the only ones over here in the industrial park. You have Superior, you have Hannah's Candles, you have American Air Filter, you got the post office. How is it there's no transit going down here? Mm. And he said, it's a good question. I said, I understand it takes a lot to have a transit agency run 24 hours. It's not what I'm asking for. I had three shifts, 7 to 3, 3 to 11, 11 to 7. Mm-hmm. Just help some of the people get to work. Mm-hmm. And he did. He reevaluated, um, boffed J- Jeff out. They did some analysis, and they put a route down in the industrial park. That was in 2012. Here, 2023, I just met last week, at the city council transportation department and asked the question, why are we cutting transit still in South Fayetteville? Mm. Um, In August, the 1st of August, we did our back to school event. And with that back to school event, you had a, and one was at Walker Park. Mm -hmm. And what I called and asked was, how can we get a bus two miles from Rock Street to Walker Park? Mm And the answer was, there is no transportation that we can provide on a Saturday for that population in that area because there's no routes. Mm. I'm thinking, where do I live? Yeah, yeah. I know for a fact that population in that community falls in the Census Data Bureau information of black BIPOC and minority underserved community. How is it that we're not serving them? But it takes me to back to coming back to twenty to twenty twelve when I got here. Why are we still having this conversation? Mm-hmm. How is it that you don't see that? And the answer is, well, the city gives us funding and the city draws these maps. But when I went to the meeting, there was not a resolution. I'm still going down this rabbit hole trying to find out how can we connect this community with access to transportation. So if you're a mother, you work 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, you're off on the weekend, and your child gets sick on Saturday and you need to get on the transit to go to the hospital, you have no transit. Mm. If you need to go to the grocery store, you have no transit. Mm -hmm. If you need to take them to get a haircut, there's no transportation. Mm -hmm. We're talking about basic. 
I need to go to the grocery store and I don't have access to transportation. The one thing that I said that is the majority of the individuals that live in South Fayetteville in that area where transit is not there were probably living here before some of them was born. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have members of our church that have lived in South Fayetteville for their lifetime. Mm-hmm. They are, I'm transient. I moved here. They have lived here, and it's become a norm that, well, they don't run in this area. No, that's not a norm. Mm-hmm. And then the Department of Transportation, as well as the Federal Transit Act, they're supposed to be doing evaluations to ensure that they are serving underserved populations. But I, it just it just weighs on me is, 10 years later, why am I still having this conversation? Mm-hmm. We're not this great community that's providing resources all the time to everyone. Mm-hmm. But... I can bet you when these students get here, you'll see these buses moving for the right people, the right time. Yeah. Game day, you'll see buses everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But what about the population that lives here every day? Yeah. The entire conversation between Monique Jones and Chris Seawood can be heard in the latest episode of the Beloved Community Podcast, a collaboration between the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council and KUAF. You can find that episode at KUAF.com along with past episodes. You can also subscribe through any major podcast distributor. And when you go to KUAF.com, you can explore all of the other podcasts that we produce. This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the sole landfill in northwest Arkansas continues to grow. For residents, one element of that growth is a high volume of fires inside the landfill. And that's one thing that I do appreciate is that I I put my can at the end of the driveway and it's taken care of, trash is taken care of. Um, So my only concern as a citizen, uh, not trying to... um, you know, come at the role as the fire chief is, do they have enough equipment and qualified personnel to be able to handle all the emergencies and incidents that they have out there? Listen to Ozarks at Large tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. only on KUAF Public Radio. Last week on our show, we heard from Mobley, the musician who hails from Austin. He performed last weekend in Bentonville as a guest of Sonic Guild. What we didn't have time for during that conversation on our show last Friday was part of the discussion about the mission of Sonic Guild. We're going to hear now from Colin Kendrick, founder and CEO of Sonic Guild, and then again from Mobley. Yeah, Sonic Guild's mission is to enable the creation and performance by exceptional local musicians. It sounds like a mouthful, um, but basically we're, we're based on the simple idea that just like symphony and opera, popular local music is worthy of community support. And in the uh, years we've been in operation, we've been able to distribute almost $6 million to about 250 bands. Um, Those grants are intended to help them create and perform music. Yeah, I I was a recipient of one of those grants about five years ago, I think. Um, And I can definitely say that was was as I was kind of transitioning from doing – 
doing music full time, but also having to have another job and having music as my 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 full time occupation. And I think that that grant that year um, kind of giving me the leeway to pursue some opportunities that I might not have been able to pursue otherwise to to spend time focusing on creating art, to have resources to put into, I mean, I, I don't think people who aren't in the industry realize how expensive it is to to be a musician, um, especially now, you know, there's the obvious stuff, gas, hotels, um, hiring, hiring uh, musicians and all that sort of thing. But then there's things that you don't think about, like PR and radio promotion and, um, ads on social media and a million different things. Um, and so, yeah, having, having an organization that, um, esteems an art form that I take very seriously and in the way that I think, uh, it deserves and, um, treats it like art, treats the people who create it like artists, um, who are kind of outside of the question of like commerce and capitalism, a thing that humanity needs to preserve. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's very important to have organizations who are doing that. Mobley is a musician based in Austin and Chicago. We also heard from Colin Kendrick, the founder and CEO of Sonic Guild. Our conversation was recorded at the Carver Center for Public Radio last week when Mobley is in town for a Sonic Guild-hosted concert that took place in downtown Bentonville. You can hear much more from that visit by looking for it at KUAF.com. And more about Sonic Guild can be found at sonicguild.org. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Alma, and Stringtown, Oklahoma. Stringtown. It's over by Daisy, Oklahoma. Oh, that clears things up. Okay, very good. Thank you. Contributors today included Jack Travis and Chris Seawood. Our underwriting director at KUAF is Ryan Versi, and our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Matthew produced today's show Inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. We have a podcast version of our show. It's free. It is free. You can just go to uh, your podcast app of choice, search for Ozarks at Large. You'll find the daily version of Ozarks at Large there for you, well, every day. And as uh, Matthew mentioned, we have another new show tomorrow. Timothy Dennis and I will be hosting that from inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. Yeah, we'll have uh, stuff from Talking Tunes. We'll hear Sound Perimeter. We'll hear Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. Plenty to hear. Join us tomorrow. Right now, for this Wednesday, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. The Momentary in Bentonville invites guests to dive into the world of dance with members of the award-winning Efrat Asheri Dance Company, September 26th through October 1st. Events feature a film screening, an artist talk, a live dance performance, and a dance workshop. Tickets at themomentary.org. Rave Cultural Foundation presents Varia for Yoga, Music, and Dance. These 45-minute drop-in classes are open to the public with prerequisites required now through August and November through February. More at raveculturalfoundation.org slash varia.